Now, for the last few weeks, Randy and Mariana have been teaching some key relational needs. And when these needs are being met, we'll, we'll find that our life and the lives of those around us seem to run better. We've also been learning some relational skills that have been very helpful in this series. And personally, Randy and I have benefited a lot through this series. It seems like every week we have an opportunity to put to practice what we're learning. (laughs) And not just Randy and I, but our family. It seems like our family's been having a lot more talks in the living room or in the bedroom sometimes with tears, comfort, and praise God, healing. How about you guys? Has anybody been experiencing some healing through this series as you put it into practice? Raise your hand if you did. I won't ask you to share. Just raise. Okay. Good. Uh, One of our youth said to me, I wish my parents could hear these messages. It would help to hear them say, it makes me so sad you're hurting about your grades. Instead of immediately yelling at me about how I'm goofing up my grade point average. I had one person tell me, it makes sense what you're teaching us. But it's really awkward for me to say those kinds of words. It's not something I normally say. I'm sad. I'm hurt. And I'm concerned that maybe my friends will think I don't really mean what I'm saying because they've already heard you say it from the pulpit. (laughs) Yeah. I have one spouse who's recovering from a painful situation in their marriage. And they confide in me, because my spouse continues to try to implement the things we are learning, I'm beginning to believe they mean what they're saying. It isn't fake but it's really from the heart. So this afternoon, and by the time we leave this evening, I want to continue our series, not because I'm going to talk for a long time, just because it's dark when we leave. Okay. (laughs) Our wizard is getting worried. (laughs) I'm going to teach about relational care and teach on another biblical principle that the Creator God has written in our instruction manual. But we're going to pray. Holy Spirit, I just thank you for... um, Your word is so clear and practical, and it points and touches places where we need comfort and healing and help. And I pray, Lord, that um, this afternoon you would make these words that we have struggled with together, you and I, real for the rest of the family. And we ask you, Holy Spirit, to be working in the hearts and that you would translate these words into Modes that will penetrate the spirit man. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, if you have a Bible, I want you to open it. Because as I talk, I'm going to say something maybe that makes sense. And you're going to want to write it in your Bible or circle the word. It might make a greater impact in your life when you go back to read the passage of today at another point. So Romans chapter 12 is what we're going to look at. Romans chapter 12, verses 9 through 13. Okay. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard. And serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble. And keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Now, sometimes scripture is really simple. It doesn't take much exegesis to unpack. You don't really have to be much of a scholar to figure out what the heck Paul is saying here. It's just plain, practical, and sensible. Verse 9. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. 
Now, when we understand the needs of our family members and friends and how to relationally care for them consistently by supporting them or attending to them or respecting them or comforting them, they will begin to feel really loved. And when we find that we hurt them and we do hurt our loved ones, I'm sure you all have figured that out by now, our apologies, our words of repentance will be received better because it's easy to forgive someone who has loved you well. Now Christmas is coming and the goose is going to get fat. Now Randy and I religiously give each other's Christmas cards. <laughs> Random, I know. There have been Christmases, Christmases when times have been a kind of lean. And in those Christmases, what we have discussed is we're going to give a gift to each of the girls, but you and I, we're just going to give each other a Christmas card. And when times are good, I go to Hallmark because I really like their cards. They're kind of expensive, but I like their cards because they really can always say what I want to say. They have the romantic, frilly ones with all the flowery words. And they have the come on cards. Hey, baby. (laughs) (laughs) They have cards that make you laugh and cards that make you cry. The kids at my house know they've hit the good card when mom cries through it. Right, guys? Yeah. But I really like the sons. They make me laugh. That's a lot of fun. Okay, because... What? Oh, I know. Yeah. It's been really fun to have guys in my life as sons. I tell you, it's a lot of fun. Okay, so where was I? Christmas. Okay, because of this, I make sure to go shopping for Randy's Christmas card when I'm in a good mood. Otherwise, I might buy something that says exactly what I mean. (laughs) Well, this has been a stinking week, and you blew it. Merry Christmas anyway. (laughs) So I'm smart. I shop when I'm happy. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Actually, you're up to 92, honey. Yeah. Okay, I want to make sure I pick out a card that will genuinely reflect the good times in our marriage, that which is lovely and that which is honoring. Verse 9, hate what is wrong and hold tightly to what is good. So one of the ways we can show that we love a person is to hate what is wrong and hold on to tightly what is good. Why is this? When we love what is good, we are loving what God loves. Because God is good. And loving God is one of the best things we can do for anybody we love. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, strength. This is the first commandment. When I counsel folks, um, like counselors, like counseling people in trouble, marriages, or people who are thinking about getting married, that kind of stuff, one of the things I tell them is put God first in your life. Put him first in your decision making. Put him first in how you spend money. Put him first in how you spend your time. Put him first in how you spend your resources. Put them first on how you spend your efforts. Put them first, put them first, put them first. God first, and then your spouse. Honor God, and you will be honoring your spouse. Do what's right, and you will be doing what's right for your spouse. Pretty simple. Hate what is wrong, hold tightly to what is good. Now, I, I looked up the definition of hate. Hate means, in case you didn't know, 
to dislike intensely or passionately, feel extreme aversion for or for or extreme hostil- hostility towards, detest. Now the word in this passage is actually more extreme than this kind of hate. Often the word that is used is ab- abhor, and is is more intense. Its definition is to regard with extreme repugnance or aversion, detest, utterly loathe, abominate. Hate, abhorred, really big bad word. And God is asking us to line ourselves up with him and have nothing to do with the things that are wrong. And God is inviting us to feel the way he feels about evil. Now the question may be, what is evil? What is wrong? Now there are a series of lists that we can refer to in the New Testament. Now in Romans alone, there's a lot of them. And I wrote them. Can you get to those? They're not up there? They're on the handout. Okay, look at your handout. That's good. I'm glad they're in the handout because you're going to look at that handout tomorrow and the next day and the next. Um, if you look at there, there's this is just Romans alone. I thought, well, okay, I'm not going to do the whole book. I'm going to have a book of my own. So I just thought I would look at Romans and the list there. And so I want you to read those lists and take some time to ask the Holy Spirit to convict you where you might not be lining up with his taste, opinions, commandments, the way he views things. So Paul encourages us to pay attention to the instruction manual. Hate what God hates and cling to, hold on, grab on to that which is good. Now why do you think Paul had to spend time reminding the Christians to do this? Yeah. You would think it would come natural to us. After all, we've been born again. Shouldn't our knee-jerk reaction be <laughs> to automatically flee from evil and cling to what is good? Well, maybe before the serpent came. But now it seems like it's a real wrestling match. Anybody can relate with a wrestling match? Raise your hand. Okay, that is evident and evidence that you're born again. Because there would not be any wrestling match if you were not born again. So... Congratulations. <laughs> the fact that we're wrestling is evident enough that we've been born again. Although we've been forgiven from sin, we can still sin. We just are no longer professionals. God has taken the fun out of it. <laughs> now, there's plenty of options for the New Testament Christians for sinning. And as you look at the list that I talked about in Romans... You're going to look at some lists that could very easily be your troubles or the troubles of our current congregation or the congregation in America. Interesting. 2,000 years later, we're still struggling with the same old thing. That's probably why the Bible's been written, because it's still relevant to our lives. So we apparently need a reminder to hate what is wrong and to cling to what is good. So let's read the passage again. And particularly, I am going to teach about affection, so I'm getting there. We're getting there. Okay. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection and take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need... Be ready to help them. Now, our need for affection is 
what I really want to unpack this morning. The rest was just for fun. Verse 10. Love each other with genuine affection. And teach, um, I want to teach about how to express affection around the people around our lives. Now, we've been created as human beings um, to need relationship. And not only relationship with each other, but relationship with God. And to be human is to love and to be loved. And we have this feeling and need for love since we're infants. The feeling of being wanted and the satisfaction of belonging are absolute requirements from the very moment that a baby comes into this world. Experiment, okay? Have you ever tried tickling yourself? I've tried it. I am on, When I was little, I'd be kind of bored and... I would want to do something, so I would tickle myself and all the places, and it didn't work. You ever try that? Anybody else done this? I'm like the only one. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Some other normal people. Okay. It doesn't really work when you try tickling yourself. But if any of you knew where I was really tickled, and you even began to get like two inches from that place, I would start wincing and chuckling because it's you doing it. Okay, now how about massaging your neck? Everybody start massaging your neck. Just massage your neck. Okay, now let's just imagine that somebody was sitting next to you that you really love and trust, and they started to massage your neck. Yeah, we would feel some purring, some snoring, some groanings. Oh, that feels so good. Okay, it's really difficult to get the best of life when we do it on ourselves. Okay, we really need other people demonstrating affection to us. Now, I thought this was interesting. Um... In our fingertip alone, there are 3,000 tiny tactile receptors that receive feeling and translate that into our brain and then to our emotions. That's a lot on one fingertip. I mean, God just went, okay, let's give him some feeling. Oh, I kind of overdid it there. <laughs> just like, I know, it just like cracks me up. Because I really want her to be able to feel that chord when she's making that C chord. Right, Justin? Yeah, all right, all right, okay. These receptors, curls, receptacles, receptors communicate pleasure as well as pain. So I can touch a person on the cheek and they can feel that nice size. And they can feel love and care for. Or I can slug them and they will feel angry or hurt or hatred. We need affection and appropriate physical touch. Infants and kids need affection. We have known for a long time the physical touch is an emotional communicator to infants and children. They've done research and they show that babies who are held, hugged, kissed, develop healthier emotional lives than those who are left for long periods of time without physical contact. I have a close friend who is now a worship leader at a vineyard church who... Um, we were teaching on needs and emotional needs, and he quite frankly said, you know, I really can't relate to any of them. I mean, I score like zero on all of them. Like, okay, yeah, I, I really don't think I have needs. <laughs> okay, so we start talking and praying with him and said, well, maybe there's something to this from your past. Oh, no. Mm-mm. So he was kind enough to go through freedom in Christ because it just seemed a little odd. So we went through freedom in Christ, and we're trying to do the healing thing and trying to do inner healing, that kind of stuff. And then one of the time, the Lord gave some prophetic understanding. And what they saw was him in a crib wrapped up in a blanket. That's all they got. Okay, I'm seeing you in a crib wrapped up in a blanket. Wow, that's deep. 
that really helps. So why don't you talk to your mom? Maybe she's got something about this. Called the mom and found out that after he was born, the mother went through severe postpartum depression to the point that the only time she picked him up was to feed him and to change his diaper. The rest of the time, she wrapped him in a blanket and put him in the crib. And she was so ashamed of that that she had never told him. And when she told him that, for the first time, he felt. And he felt compassion for his mom. And he told her, I forgive you, mom. And I forgive you for the shame you felt all these years. And he, from that point, got a lot more open to the inner healing thing. And he's an awesome guy now. He's got kids, loves his wife. He lets me hug him, <laughs> you know, whenever I see him. And, you know, he's a neat guy. So, anyway, the importance of touching children is not a modern idea. In the first century, we read of parents bringing their children to Jesus so that he could touch them. Mark chapter 10, verse 13 through 16. People were bringing little children to Jesus to have him touch them. But the disciples rebuked them. I guess they didn't think that was important. They weren't into this relational need thing. They needed Randy to teach him about it, I guess. When Jesus saw this, he was indignant. He said to them, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For the kingdom of God belongs to such as these. I tell you the truth. Anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. And he took the children in his arms, put his hands on them, and bless them. So apparently kids are a priority to God. And touching them is part of the ways that he ministered to their needs. Wise parents in any culture hug, kiss, pat, hold your kids to communicate to a child that you love them. They like horsey plays. They like, car- carry me, daddy, pick me up. Um, what does Isabel say? Up me, gamma mama. You know, and, you know, I know that means to pick her up because she needs to be held right then. Now, little boys like to wrestle. They like to rough house. And they enjoy that a lot. Now, if they have a high need for um, affection, then they're more likely to get a lot more enjoyment out of that with dad than anybody else in the family would. And they relish those opportunities because sometimes that's the only way that some dads think are appropriate to show affection to a boy. Now, teenagers need affection. And hugging and kissing a teenager differs from how you hug and kiss an infant. I can kiss my infant anywhere. And it's legal. Because I just can't help it. All those rolls. I would never kiss my teenage daughter on her thigh. But when I see Aiden and those beautiful round thighs, I just can't help it. I'll just grab and kiss him right there on the thigh. That would be weird if I did that to Mercy. But it's okay for Mercy to do that to Aiden. If your teenager is regularly tripping you, grabbing you, pushing you, trying to do pokey things with you, it probably means that he has a high need for affection and physical touch is important to him or her. Now, I remember when I was in junior high and the boys used to try to trip the girls. When I found out that that meant they liked me, I thought they're nuts. What part of tripping me communicates you love me or you like me? That's because affection was not that important to me. But some of you in this room, like, yeah, I get it. And it's not because you're a boy. It's just like you get it. 
You understand that just like getting close and touching the person, sort of, even if it's like kind of a mean touch, means you like them. So, obviously, affection is not one of my top needs, but I like the, like it, how Randy touches. Okay, stuff. <laughs> when our daughters were younger, Randy connected with them in healthy ways. <laughs> you like that? Okay, see? That's the first laugh I got from you. I'm impressed. Yeah. Okay. So anyway, when the girls were little, he would hug the girls and rock them and kiss them and caress their heads and throw them up in the air. Now, when they became teenagers, that changed because, you know, if Randy tried to throw Mercy or Priscilla up in the air, that would look a little funny. Yeah, not to mention that his back would probably go out. As our daughters matured and approached puberty, things began to change, not only in them, but how dad related to them. And it kind of confused a couple of them. Which one do you think it confused? The ones with a high need for affection. And they wondered, why is dad being strange with me? Did I do something wrong? Does he not love me anymore? And there was this sense of even some rejection and hurt and sadness. Now, we as a family worked it out, and we talked about it. But you have to remember, before we had girls, we had women friends. And Randy and I had talked about, okay, how are we going to relate affection with women friends? And so we talked about that, and Randy is very protective and guarded in how he relates to women. When he talks to them, he looks at their face and concentrates on their eyes. The scripture says that the eyes are the window of the soul, right? And so he would do that, and he would guard from looking at them at other body parts. When he hugged them, he would hug and kiss, but like he would a little sister. And so these things that he had been doing for years, when the girls came into town and then began to become, go through purity, it's like he went the knee-jerk reaction. This is what I always do with young women in my life. And so there was some bumping and figuring it all out. But um, it's been good. And so he's very careful for those with high need for affection to verbalize his affection to them and to still brush their hair and hug them and kiss them whenever he walks into a room or whenever he's going to leave. So that seems to help. Adults need affection. Now, physical touch can either make or break a relationship. It either communicates hate or communicates love. Now, if a person's primary um, love need or intimacy need, relational need, is affection, any touch we withheld is greater. And any touch that we give affects greater. So a child who is neglected giving touch will affect them in a much greater way. They'll feel greater rejection, greater hurt, greater sadness. So it's important to know where your kids or your friends or your spouse is at on the affection thing. So in your folder, like almost a folder we give to you every Sunday, there's a paper there that talks about testing yourself and testing how good you are at meeting other people's needs. And if you find out that your significant other or friend or child or whoever rates high in the affection, like have them do this test, like maybe make copies of this, and have them do it so they don't see what your score was. 
and you find out they're like way out there in the in I mean like really important. You might want to ask them, how good am I at showing you affection? And you might be surprised. You may have rated yourself really good and realize they're thinking like you stink. So um, because it's such a big need that you have to do it like a lot more exaggerated than you think you would need to to a person that really needs it a lot. Does that make sense? All right. That's good. Now, U.S. is the United States is apparently touchy about touch. And so there was this psychologist who had nothing else to do but to observe couples in a cafe and see how many times they had casual touch between them. And he did this not just in one place, he did it all over the world. So one of the places he found that had like super a lot of touching going on was Puerto Rico. Um, 180 casual touches in one hour. In the United States, two in one hour. So I mean you understand better the Latin situation <laughs> why you're like wow she really likes to hug a lot um, I was raised bicultural my dad was an Irishman we adopted him because he was cute and my mother was Panamanian now my mom raised all six kids with a lot of hugging kissing squeezing so as adults my siblings hugged and kissed each other even the guys so when Randy was 19 I introduced him to our family He's like watching this, like, wow, these are grown men. And they're hugging and kissing each other. Okay? And he was cool about it. I mean, he knew Clara's different. Okay? <laughs> I wasn't raised that way. You know, he was thinking, this is, you know, like, not people do this in the United States. And the deal was that at the end of the evening, if you were my friend, guess what? My brothers will hug and kiss you too. So Randy got to experience firsthand being rejected from a handshake and grabbed <laughs> with a hug. And fortunately, Randy was shocked at first, but he liked it. You like that too, huh? Okay, all right. <laughs> he assured me that he liked it. Why do you think he liked it? Yeah. Affection is one of, top, one of Randy's top relational needs. So it sat real well with him. I'm glad because I really like my family a lot. Okay, now, Benjamin, you ready? Okay. Okay. I want you to watch this. It's good. Daddy! Daddy! Hey, Rosie King! How you doing? Daddy! Jay Star! What? Jay Star! Young lady, your brother's in enough trouble without you telling on him. You understand? It's from the butchers. And he won't say a word about it, will you, Jay? Will you, Jay? Okay, pick it up. Let's go. Do not test me, boy. Right now. Stay here. Hey, 
Marty Johnson had to go away to Delaware to live with his uncle. Why? His parents didn't have enough money for them to eat. Yeah, well, things ain't easy at the moment, Jay. You're right. There's a lot of people worse off than what we are. And just because things ain't easy, that don't give you the excuse to take what's not yours, does it? That's stealing, right? We don't steal. No matter what happens, we don't steal. Not ever. You got me? Are you giving me your word? Yes. Go on. I promise. And I promise you, we will never send you away. It's okay, kid. You got a little scared, I understand. are in crisis, they need affection. Almost instinctively in times of crises, we hug each other. Why? Because physical touch is a powerful communicator of love. In times of crises, more than anything, we need to feel loved. We cannot always change events, but we can survive if we feel loved. We're all going to experience crises. Someone dies in our family, Someone gets in a car accident. Life is disappointing. But the most important thing we can do with someone in crises is to love them. Holding a, a person when they're crying is very comforting and need meeting. Crisis provides a unique opportunity for expressing love. Your tender touch of affection combined with some of the other relational needs that we've learned about can compound the positive effect of those actions. When a person needs comfort and we walk across the room and we touch them on the shoulder telling them we're sad with them, they experience more healing. When a person is afraid and they need security, holding them and telling them, I'll be here with you, increases the effect of those words. Your tender touch and affection will be remembered way after the crisis has passed. Now, you may feel that your words mean a little, but physical touch will communicate a lot. Using appropriate touch during a confrontational conversation may make a person who has a great need for affection hang in there and not withdraw and not think, I'm bad. It would look something like this. You would sit close to the person and let them know with words that you care for them, that you love them that you cherish them, that you're committed to the relationship. You might hold her hand if that's appropriate, or his hand if it's appropriate. And then share the disappointment or the critique. Afterwards, let them know that you care for them and hug them. Now, with our kids, when they were spankable ages, meaning before they hit puberty, um, our family routine went something like this. I would sit with them and hold her hand. I would share with them what they did that was wrong or wounding or rebellious. I would let them know that they not only made me sad, 
but they disappointed the Lord. Now, the reason why I do that is because you've got to make the bridge between what you think is wrong and what God thinks is wrong. Because way after you're gone, God's still going to be there. And then, um, depending on the infraction, I would tell them how many spankings they were going to get. If they clearly did something that I had told them not to do, I would give them one spanking. If they lied about what they did, and it was something that I told them not to do, two spankings. If they lied and were sassy with me and did what I told them not to do, three spankings, and so on. But the so on only went to five spankings. And they knew that. They knew mommy's limit is five. And that's only for when I really, really, really have done something really, really bad on top of really, really other bad things. (laughs) Now, believe it or not, after I spanked them, I would sit down with them, hold them on my lap if they let me, and hug them. And I would let them know I love them. I would do what good parents do. Correct your children in appropriate ways so that their behavior can change. And often after the hug, we would pray together and ask the Holy Spirit to help them to be more obedient the next time. Now this kind of disciplinary mode from a parent ministers to a lot of needs. Security needs, mommy has a limit. Mommy is consistent in correcting me. It ministers to respect needs. Mommy tells me why and what for spanking me. This is not this random spank. What was that for? Just because you woke up this morning. (laughs) Mommy's not spanking me out of anger. Because when you go through all of this, you know, you have time to calm down. And you have time to really include the Holy Spirit. It ministers to comfort needs. I know I'm sad now, and Mommy's taking time to help me settle down. And Mommy knows Jesus is sad, and she's helping me to comfort him for making him sad. It ministers acceptance needs. Even though I've been doing something wrong, Mommy still wants me around. The need for affection is also met. Mommy loves me. She can still kiss me and hug me and tell me she loves me. So I know this sounds easy in the confines of these walls. Your child is upstairs or they're in another room. You're relaxed. And I know it's not always easy. Kids arrive to us little for a reason. Not only because it's easier to birth in that way, but it's easy to train them when they're little and teachable. If I had been given Daniel Applegate as his son, the only way I could expect respect and honor for him is if I trained it into him when he was two or three. And his mom did a pretty good job for me. And whenever I see her, I always tell her, thank you for raising my son. I do the same for Benjamin and Matt. Okay? But you know what? A three-year-old, I could get over and spank them five times right now. But when they hit puberty, that kid could pulverize me. So I should probably, he may not know that, okay? But he respects what I have to say because I did my homework when he was little. Okay. Besides, it works out better that way. When you got that spankable age to do it then, and then it just works, teenage years work a lot better. I didn't always do it this way. Randy and I grew into this as parents. We did not have parents who showed us the way. It's hard work to be consistent. But don't grow weary and hang in there. Administer some self-control. Okay, verse 11. 
Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. If we have God's priorities in loving kids, the big ones or the small ones, the adults, teenagers, or kids, then we're serving God. Don't lose hope. Be confident that when we love our family, friends, and the lost, with the tools and the awareness that we've been learning through this series, they're going to respond. The hardness of their hearts is going to soften, and healing will come. Be patient, even in troubled relationships you might presently have. And don't forget to pray. Prayer is pretty powerful. I love it when I have trouble with a relationship or something going on in the church, and I'm going to have to have this talk. I'm going to have to have this meeting. I'm going to have to talk about this. I love it to pray because I get there and they're already telling me the right answers. I'm like, that's awesome. I didn't have to say anything. And it's just so cool. So same with family, friends, kids. Pray before you ever get to talk to them. And you'll see that a lot of things get taken care of because you prayed about it. And when you see your child, your spouse, your friend, your boss, your enemy in genuine need for affection, be ready to help them out. That's the last verse in verse 13. Okay, now I'm going to read the, the chapter, not the chapter, the verses one more time. But this time when we read it, I want you to think of a person who you think is in your life, not somebody in the distant that's dead that you might never see again. Think of a real person in your life that needs affection. Okay, I'm going to read this and put everything together with that person in your head. Okay? Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. And hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them out. Okay. I think that's my cue. The drums. So... So get up and stand up for a sec. And what I want you to do is that was a lot of verses. And maybe a part of that verse like stood out to you personally. Like, wow, I got stuck on having the confident hope. Or I got stuck on not stopping praying or whatever. So look at those verses and pick a piece of it for you that you want God's help. You got it? Yeah, that's good. So the Holy Spirit is convicting you right now. I'm not condemning you. I don't even know what it is, okay? It's between you and God, okay? And so God's saying, okay, let's work on that, buddy. Let's work on that, daughter. And let's work on it this week. And so would you like my power to work on it this week? Yes? Please say yes. Yes. Okay, good. Because you're not going to be very successful on your own. I know. I've tried, and I need God's power, even at 50. Okay, so what we're going to do is you're going to put your hands out, and you're going to invite the Holy Spirit. I'm going to read the verse, and when I read that part that's for you, just like expect the Holy Spirit to touch you and empower you for that part. Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other.
Never be lazy, but work hard and serve the Lord enthusiastically. Rejoice in our confident hope. Be patient in trouble and keep on praying. When God's people are in need, be ready to help them. Holy Spirit, thank you for your convicting work, your goodness to us. Thank you that you are relevant, you are real, you're simple and practical, and you're awesome. And thank you for your power that is upon your people to do good works, that you have equipped them, Lord, to do good deeds this week. I pray you would fill them and remind them of this part of Scripture that's important to them throughout the week, and that you would give them success stories by the end of the week that they can share with their community group or share with a friend. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, now I'm not going to assume that my little talk met all of your needs. That would be really idolatrous. And so there might be some needs that you have that were not addressed that you would like some touch, prayer, care for. So please come forward with the four captains of other community groups. Please come forward so you're ready to minister. And anybody else who feels led to minister, key leaders, uh, people who feel powerful in God, come forward. And even if you feel sort of powerful in God, come forward. And then those of you that need prayer, then you come forward and there will be people here to pray for you. Four captains, need you to move forward. Forward captains, move forward. (laughs) And other key leaders, move forward. (laughs) Yeah, that's the part of the scripture that says, um, enthusiastically serve the Lord. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's there. There we go. All right. Okay. So here are the here are the players to minister to you. So come forward. They're very nice. They know how to pray, and they love God. They'll love you. So come forward for prayer. And the rest of you, be blessed and have an awesome week. We'll see you next week. Okay. Bye bye.